All right, so we are making our way through Unit 7 of Parables of Jesus. And Unit 7 is God's laborers. We're looking at parables that Jesus used to describe how he sends his laborers out to co-labor with him in God's work of redemption and salvation for the whole world and the heart that he wants his co-laborers to have. So Jesus demonstrated it in his own life, in his his own ministry, in his own approach to things, but then he becomes the example as he sends us out to do things the way that he did them. Well, we're making our way through Matthew 18, and we are again up to the parable of the lost sheep. Now, I know we already covered the parable of the lost sheep in a prior unit, but this is a slightly unique context, and there are some additional elements to this, so I'm going to read it quickly you've already got the basis of the parable of the lost sheep. If a man lost his sheep, he would go and find it. He wouldn't just say, eh, leave it alone, wherever it wanders, whatever. He would go and find his lost sheep because that sheep has great value and worth in his sight. And he cares for and he loves the sheep. So he wouldn't just leave it to itself. He would go and find it. So Jesus has just finished up telling his disciples not to despise the little ones who are putting their faith in him. Why? Because the great ones in the kingdom of heaven are the ones who have become like little children to put their faith in him and become totally reliant on him and dependent on him. It's through the little ones that God perfects and establishes praise and his power in the earth. We talked about that in the last class, but Picking up right from there, there's no break in the conversation. Jesus goes on. This is Matthew 18, starting with verse 12. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So again, we're on the theme of the little ones, the ones who have become like little children to put their faith entirely in Jesus. It is not God's will that any of his little ones should perish. He wants all people to come into eternal life, but his eye is always upon those who have their eyes on him. And what Jesus is making clear in this context, and this goes right along with what we learned from the Luke version of the parable of the lost sheep, that humans, even though they have gone astray from God through their sin, through their selfishness, through their error, through all of the problems that they've gotten themselves into, Jesus is saying even the vulnerable in this world, no matter why they have gotten themselves into those predicaments, we must seek them out like lost sheep for the kingdom of God. God loves them. He does not despise the vulnerable, the lost, the hurting, the broken. He does not despise them. He desires them. He desires them to come and be adopted into his family through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus sends laborers out to find the lost sheep and do exactly that. Tell them about him to bring them into God's household. 
It is not God's will that anyone should perish. He wants all people to receive the mercy and the forgiveness for their sins that he has poured out by allowing his son to be crucified on a cross for the forgiveness of sin, for the redemption and salvation of the world. That's the heart of God. So Jesus goes on from here, and it's still the same context. He's still talking. Now, my Bible has some section breaks in it, but this was one conversation. Jesus is just freely flowing in all of these different expressions right along the way. He is not stopped talking from when we began this context. And so he goes on. Now, we're not going to talk about this a lot because it's not really a parable, but I want you to see this as the setup for the next parable that he does tell. He says, this is verse 15 now, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. That means the congregation, the body of believers, the elders of the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That's pretty harsh because we know that the Gentiles in the Jewish mindset, the Gentiles are the ones who are all going to be facing the judgment of God and be cast into hell for all eternity because of their pagan practices. So to be treated like a Gentile and a tax collector means you are cut off from the covenant of God. That's a very serious thing. But he goes on. He says, truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Okay, so like I said, there's a lot there, but it's not really a parable, but it does set us up for the next parable. Well, Jesus begins by saying, if your brother sins, go and tell him his fault. And we talked about that. Jesus is not light on sin. He's just heavy on mercy. But his message, when he came and proclaimed the good news, his message was not free pardon, free pardon. No, his message was repent, repent. Mercy is available. The good news is that God has mercy on you, but you need to repent in order to receive it. The message that we are proclaiming is repentance for the forgiveness of sins, according to the book of Luke and Jesus sending out his disciples after the resurrection. So what that means here is when you go to your brother, if someone has sinned against you, then you have to already have reckoned forgiveness, mercy in your heart before you go to rebuke them for their sin. How do I know? Because that's how Jesus did it. Jesus was already going around forgiving people's sins, even though he had not gone to the cross yet, even though his blood had not yet been shed. He showed them mercy. He already knew that the mercy of God was available to them, and he was extending that mercy to them by forgiving their sins. His mission was not to tell the world how evil it is, although his purity of life did declare 
the works of the world to be evil. No, his mission was to win the world for God through mercy and forgiveness. And so what he's saying is when you go to your brother, if he listens to you, then you have gained your brother. Jesus' mission was not to rebuke people and then leave them to themselves. Jesus' mission was to gain them for God. And so if you're trying to use this as your own personal conflict resolution, but you're still a Pharisee in your heart who's just superior over your brother and using this as a way to point out their faults to them and then say that you did your job because you went to your brother and pointed out their fault to them. And so you followed Matthew 18. What a good conflict resolver you are. No, if you don't already forgive them in your heart, then you're not ready to go and confront them at all. You have to have worked forgiveness in your heart to the depths of your heart that you are there on a mission of mercy to say, hey, brother, hey, sister, you sinned against me, but I forgive you. I already forgive you. The mercy of God is already there for you, even though you did wrong to me. But I need to bring it to your attention because this sin that you're committing, I'm probably not the only one that you're doing it to. And you need to know in case you're not aware of it so that you can repent and be right in God's sight. Telling someone to repent, pointing out their fault, is not to make you look like you're the religious champion of the world. It's for their benefit that they can repent and come into what is right in God's sight, that they can receive mercy from God for their sin and also repent and stop doing things that are not pleasing in the sight of God. Well, if your brother doesn't listen, if he won't repent and come into what is pleasing to God, then get two or three more, then bring it to the church and even the elders. And if they won't listen to people who are in agreement that this behavior is sinful and that they themselves are doing this behavior, if they refuse to repent even at that, then they are demonstrating that they don't really understand what the new covenant is about. They don't really understand that Jesus came, yes, to forgive their sins, but also to call them to a sanctified life of not indulging themselves and their own desires, but to have consideration for others. And if they won't listen to the church, then... The church has the right, the Catholics would call it excommunicate, to cut people out of the covenant with God, which means to cut them off from God himself. In the old covenant context, if someone were cut off from Israel, then they are cut off from the only people who has a connection to the Most High God who is the God of Israel. That's what this is saying now in a new covenant context. And Jesus goes on to say, if you agree and you bind or loose on earth. What he's doing, binding and loosing, are terms of the law. You make something binding by law by making it a requirement, or you loose something by law. You make it something that is permitted. So when you loose it, you are loosing people from a requirement of the law. They are set free to do as they please in that particular area, whereas in other areas, they are bound by law to obey or submit. Well, Jesus is turning this authority over to his disciples as the people of God. 
So, in the same way, if a brother refuses to repent when the church confronts them in their sin, and all of this procedure has been followed according to the words of Jesus, but with a mission and a heart for restoration and mercy and forgiveness for that person, but if they refuse to repent and refuse to receive that mercy, then they can be cut off by the authority of the church, cut off from covenant with God himself, treated like a Gentile, a heathen, a pagan who's not connected to God at all, or treated like a tax collector who is a traitor against the people of God, who has aligned themselves with the world and the world's powers rather than staying loyal and faithful and committed to God's people. So that's a brief summary of those passages. Like I said, we're not going on extensively about them because that's not a parable. That's just setting up the next parable, the parable of the unforgiving or the unmerciful servant. So this is Matthew 18, starting with verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, or some translations would say, have mercy on me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe! So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, or again, same exact expression, Have mercy on me, and I will pay you. He refused and went out and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Wow. Okay, so let's break this down bit by bit. A king collecting debts has the right to be paid in full. Now, this servant who owed him 10,000 talents, that is the equivalent of 20 years, 20 years worth of wages. Some of you listening may not have even been in the workforce for 20 years, 20 years worth of wages for the common laborer. There's no way that he was able to pay that. And so he was going to be thrown in what historically would have been known as a debtor's prison, where if you owe a debt, you are put in prison until you can pay. And it kind of makes no sense because if you're in 
prison, you can't work it off. So you'll just be in prison for the rest of your life. Well, this man, he was about to be sold. His wife and children were about to be sold and everything he owned were about to be sold and put in the debtor's prison until they could pay off the debt, which were 20 years wages. He would have been in prison for the rest of his life being treated like a prisoner. Don't miss that. Harsh labor, prison food, possibly torture. It's not the best existence to be in a debtor's prison. Well, the king, having mercy on this servant, forgave him. He pleaded for mercy, and the king had pity on him and forgave the debt. But then this same servant went out to another servant who owed him 100 denarii. Now, 100 denarii is 20 weeks worth of labor. That's not even one year. That is a fraction of what this servant owed the king and what this servant had just been forgiven. 20 years worth of wages had just been forgiven him, and now he's turning around and won't have mercy on someone who owes him 20 weeks worth of money. And so he threw that other servant in prison, even though he had said the same exact thing to him that he had said to the king, have mercy on me, have patience with me, be kind and forgiving to me, I will pay you. But he didn't. He had no mercy on his fellow servant and threw him into prison, the very prison that he had just been saved from and spared from. He did not spare his fellow servant from that prison by not forgiving him the debt. And so other servants saw that this had happened. And because they saw this was a great injustice against the king, the king turned the unmerciful servant over to the jailers. So the very prison that the king had said, you are forgiven, you don't have to go to that prison. Well, by his unforgiveness, he went into that very prison that the king's mercy could have spared him from. Now, who was it that brought this to the king's attention? The fellow servants. All right, so we're going to break this down some more. The parable point, Jesus gives the zinger at the end. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. What did we talk about in the setup for this? First of all, people are like lost sheep in need of mercy. Instead of looking down on them and despising the little ones, we're supposed to be out there showing mercy for those who owe maybe 20 weeks worth of labor. Why? Because we know that 20 years worth of labor has been forgiven us. If we are unable to show mercy to others, it demonstrates that we do not understand the mercy that God has shown to us. So Jesus says, if you will not show mercy and forgiveness from your heart, if your mission when you go to rebuke your brother is just to show that you're a better Christian than they are, you have missed the point. 
You have to go to your brother with mercy and forgiveness already in your heart to be a merciful servant rather than an unmerciful servant. And if you cannot show mercy, then you will face the very judgment that you think you've been redeemed from by your own faith in Jesus. Jesus is looking for actions from a heart that understands what he has truly done. And if your actions don't confirm the faith that you claim to have, then you are not as saved as you think you are. This is very serious. God takes mercy and forgiveness very seriously. Now, Jesus, what is Jesus doing? He came to confront everyone the same way that he's saying, if your brother sins against you, go and rebuke him. Jesus came to rebuke the world for sin. Woe to the world because of sin. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came to confront all of us in our sin, but he came with a heart and a mission of mercy, mercy and forgiveness already readily available for all of us. So that when we repent, the mercy is already there. We've already been redeemed from the prison that we would otherwise go to. Why? Because Jesus forgives us. Jesus is the king forgiving the debts for all the ways that we have sinned against God. His mission is to go around showing mercy, finding lost sheep, showing mercy to everyone for their great and unpayable debt of sin to God. And if we fail to remember the mercy that God has had on us, then we will be just like this unmerciful servant. But the other element here is we have to consider the setup for this. Who was it that brought this to the attention of the king? It was the fellow servants who saw this injustice. And in how we set up this parable, what did we say? Jesus said, you first individually, one-on-one, go to your brother. Then get two or three witnesses who can agree that this is sin that needs to be repented of and that God's mercy is still great enough for that. But then bring it to the church. And if the, the one in sin and rebellion against God will not submit themselves to the righteous standard of God, then these servants, we as God's servants, must report it to the king. And Jesus gave us, as his followers, the authority to bind and to loose and to turn people back over to the evil one, like Gentiles, pagans, heathens, or like traitors, like tax collectors. That's what it means to be excommunicated or cut off from the church. And the Apostle Paul did this on a couple of occasions. In Corinth, the man who was sleeping with his father's wife, what the Apostle Paul said of that man is, turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that he might have a chance to repent and receive mercy from God and bring his life into alignment with God. And then in a later example in 2 Corinthians, he says, bring him back into fellowship. Now he has repented. Let him be restored to fellowship so that he will not be overcome with discouragement. 
There are times when it is right in God's sight to cut someone off from community because their sin is so great and so unrepented from. If they are in arrogant rebellion rather than little childlike faith in God, If they're in rebellion against God and they refuse to repent, then they're demonstrating that they don't understand what the new covenant is really all about. So, yes, we have to maintain hearts of mercy and compassion and unfailing love and forgiveness, willingness to forgive not just three times, not just seven times, but 70 times seven completely and totally forgive those who have sinned against us when they repent. But if someone refuses or they're unwilling to show mercy to their fellow servants, then they, like this unmerciful servant, will be cast into the prison of hell. And there are some translations that say that the in anger, the master delivered the servant over to the tormentors. Some people in their lives, you right now, you might have demons in your life because of your own unforgiveness. You have been turned over to the tormentors, the ones who are doomed to hell forever. It is like we have a foretaste of heaven as we abide in Jesus. If you're turned over to the tormentors, you're getting a foretaste of hell. The Father doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. But you've got to learn to forgive. You've got to understand the great forgiveness that you have received for your own sins against God. And if you really do understand that, then you will turn around and have mercy on those who have sinned against you. From your heart, you will forgive them. That's what it means to be a merciful servant. But the unmerciful servants will be cast into the pit and prison of hell. So what's the big picture of this context that started in the last class and finished up here? Jesus humbled himself as a child of God. He paid the temple tax even though he didn't have to out of submission and obedience to God and also out of consideration for other people. Jesus was willing to go to the cross, have his whole life cut and gouged out, out of love for the little ones, to lay his life down for the lost sheep. Jesus was on a mission for finding lost sheep and bringing them back into fellowship with God. And Jesus is the forgiving king forgiving the debts of those who could never possibly repay. But then what he expects of us as his servants is to show that mercy to others and join him in his labor of confronting and rebuking sin when people sin against us, but doing it with a heart of compassion and mercy and forgiveness because it's not God's will that any 
should perish, but that all should come into salvation through knowledge of the truth and repentance from their sins. We have the ministry of reconciliation, not the ministry of condemnation. The ministry of reconciliation, God reconciling sinners to himself by not counting their trespasses against them. And if God has done that for you, then turn that forgiveness around and share it with all the lost sheep of this lost and hurting and broken world. (music) 